We're continuing with our series in Luke's Gospel. Turn to Luke chapter 6, please. Luke chapter 6. Title of my sermon is Judge Not, Judge Not, and we're looking at verses 37 and 38. Let's have a look at those verses now. Jesus said, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. This morning we're going to be looking at something that we all do. We all pass judgment on others, don't we? Yeah? No? Do we ever pass judgment? Maybe there's someone sitting there thinking, well, I never pass judgment, not me. <laughs> A fundamental part of judging others is forming an opinion about them and their actions based upon what you've heard from them or maybe you've heard from someone else about them or maybe something that you've seen with your eyes, own eyes. You've watched them and you've seen something that they've done. Or maybe you've come across some other evidence concerning that person. In Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus said, Judge not, or do not pass judgment, and ye shall not be judged. Yet, as I've said, we all do it. For example, we tend to form friendships with people whom we have judged to be like-minded and have similar interests. We might avoid the company of people whom we have judged to be psychopathic murderers. But we make these judgments, don't we? We all do it. So much for what we might or might not do, based upon our judgment of others, informed judgment or otherwise. But it doesn't alter the fact that Jesus said, judge not and ye shall not be judged. Since we all judge others, and Jesus said, judge not, we really ought to try and understand what Jesus meant about not judging others. Would you agree with me? First of all, those words of Jesus, judge not, and ye shall not be judged, were not absolute. They were not absolute. Let's have a look again at verse 37. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. At first glance, and without looking anywhere else in the Bible, it might seem that Jesus was giving a clear and absolute command to never judge others. But that was not the case. For example, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6, Matthew, you don't have to uh, find this, I'll, I'll read it to you. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6, Jesus said, Give not to that, give not that which is holy 
unto the dogs. Neither cast your pearls before swine, before pigs, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you or tear you apart. Jesus wasn't talking about literal dogs and literal pigs. He was talking about people. People whom he called dogs and pigs or swine. Apart from anything else, that verse requires you to make a judgment as to whether someone is going to blaspheme the name of God if you continue to talk to him about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps that person has already contemptuously scoffed and shown an unwillingness to, unwillingness to listen as you've tried to talk to him or her about Jesus. If that is the case, then by all means pray that the Lord will open that person's heart, grant repentance to that person and fill that person's heart with a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, it might be prudent to shake the dust off your feet and go elsewhere. That is something that I and others from this church, we face every month when we go on door-to-door visitation. Some people make it very clear that they do not want to hear about Jesus. As soon as they hear the name Jesus, they want to slam the door in your face. That's it. Move on. It's time to move on and go somewhere else. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, the Lord Jesus Christ said. The fact is that we make judgments about all manner of people and things. For example, if someone were to step into the pulpit here, and in his preaching, deny the Trinity, deny that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you would have good reason to judge that person to be a heretic. Even though you would not be able to see into his heart, you would nevertheless be making a sound judgment based upon what you heard him preaching about. But you would be making a judgment that that person is a heretic and you'd come to me and and quite rightly have a go at me and say that you really don't want this, that person back in this church preaching again. Secondly, judging others might involve calling out their sin. <clears throat> there might be times when you judge a person to have sinned in some way. Again, perhaps you've seen it for yourself or evidence of his sinful behaviour has reached you. If and when that happens, is it right to call out that person's sin? Or do you keep quiet? To answer that one, we can consider John the Baptist, that great man of God, one of the last, if not the last, of the Old Testament prophets of God. He boldly confronted King Herod who was an ungodly man, and he called out his adultery. John said to the king, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. The king, King Herod, was going with his brother's wife and uh, having an affair with her. 
Or, anyway. More's a pity that the churches aren't more active and vocal in calling out the sins of the leaders of our land. That is something we should be doing as Christians. Who better is there than a Christian or the church as a whole to call out the sins of our leaders? We do have the moral compass. Why is that? Because Christians are born again. I'm not saying we've got all the answers, but we are the ones who should be calling out sin instead of keeping quiet. Just like John the Baptist, when he boldly went to King Herod and said, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. To this day, I cannot understand why more Christians and more churches were not calling out the sin of our leaders when they relaxed the abortion laws. Instead, they kept quiet, said nothing, for fear of reprisal, I would guess. I don't know. And what about when Christians sin? Are we to say nothing if a drunkard or an adulterer or someone who is having a sexual relationship outside of marriage is a professing Christian? Are we to say nothing? According to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Christians are given the task of restoring a brother or sister in Christ who is overtaken with fault. That must surely involve calling out his sin. King David, who was a man after God's own heart, he had a real saving faith in Jesus Christ who was to come into the world one and a half thousand years later to bear away King David's sins at the cross. And David was looking ahead to the coming of Christ to, to, to deal with his sin. But even so, even so, that man after God's own heart, boy, did he fall into sin in a big way. David was guilty of taking another man's wife and then arranging for that man to be killed in battle. How about that? The prophet of God, Nathan, came along and with godly wisdom told the king a story. It's quite a long one this, but it's worth listening to. So David, he's listening to the prophet of God and this is the story that he gets from him. There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought which he had bought and nourished up and it grew up together with him and with his children like a member of the family this little ewe lamb it did eat of his own food and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter you think it's uh, crazy when people's dogs sleep on their beds it's got nothing on this has it and there came a traveller unto the 
there came a traveller unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock. He didn't want to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come to him. He didn't want to take of his own flock or herd to feed the the visitor. This is the rich man. He didn't want to touch any of his um, sheep, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, against the rich man that was uh, that was come to him. And David's anger was kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. That's how angry David was concerning the rich man in this story. The rich man who came along took the poor man's little ewe lamb and, and fed it to a visitor. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, you are the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah and if that had been too little I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? This is the Lord telling David, you have done evil in his sight. That is in the Lord's sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. This is David who had everything. King David of Israel. He had everything. God had given him everything. But still, he took another man's wife and had that man killed in battle. And Nathan was saying, you are the rich man in that story I've just told you. The one that you said, he shall surely die. David was the man. What followed was forgiveness from God after David confessed his sin to God, saying, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. You can picture David there on his knees or on his belly pleading to God for forgiveness for his sin. And he did receive forgiveness. God heard his cries and the Lord forgave him his sins. If anything, surely it is a tragedy that those words of Jesus judge not or do not pass judgment, and ye shall not be judged, have been used by churches and individual Christians to say nothing when brothers and sisters in Christ sin for fear of being <coughs> being labelled or seen as judgmental. Instead of calling out their sin, not vindictively, but lovingly, and praying that those who have been 
overtaken with sin would be brought to repentance and restored by a merciful and gracious God. Far better to speak up. Maybe take them aside and speak to them in love, Christian love. When they've gone astray, instead of zipping it like a little coward, I think most of the time that's what it is, if I'm being honest with you. It's cowardice that we say nothing. I'm thankful to God that my dear wife keeps me on a reasonably straight and narrow path by calling out my sin. When that happens, it can be tough medicine at the time. No one likes to hear it, do they? But I know that she does it out of love and concern for me. And, of course, for the honour of God. Thirdly, we'll look at hypocritical judges. We can all very easily judge others whilst at the same time pay little or no attention to the sin in our own lives. We're all very good at that, aren't we? We all point the finger elsewhere while we've got how many fingers pointing towards us? They're pointing everywhere and you've got three fingers pointing in your direction. Guilty, I'm guilty of that. I'm sure I'm not the only one. That is something that Jesus addresses in verses 41 and 42. Look at those two verses now. Luke chapter 6, verse 41. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, a speck of sawdust that mote is? Why beholdest thou a speck of sawdust in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam or the plank that is thine own eye? Either how can thou say to thy brother, brother in Christ, it's not talking about brother in, uh, you know, brothers and sisters, in, in your family at home, it's a brother in Christ, a fellow Christian. How can thou say to thy brother, brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine own eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. In Matthew chapter 7, those words that I've just read to you come straight after Jesus said, judge not and ye shall not be judged. And perhaps you can see why that is. They go together. It's so easy to look at other people's sins through the right end of a telescope whilst you look at your own sins through the wrong end of the telescope, making your sins appear to be tiny in comparison Even King David, before the prophet Nathan called out his sin by saying to him, Thou art the man, said to him concerning the rich man, this is David said to Nathan concerning the rich man who took the poor man's ewe lamb, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. This is David casting judgment on the rich man in that story. I'm not for one moment suggesting that David's own sin was not weighing heavily in his heart at the time or that he had minimised the severity of his own sin. 
But he did nevertheless condemn to death someone who had done what? He'd, he'd taken someone else's ewe lamb whilst his own sin was that of taking another man's wife and then arranging for the husband to be killed in battle. And indeed, when you read that story in the Bible, David is guilty of killing the man himself. By arranging his death, he killed the man, Uriah the Hittite. No no doubt, after his little visit from Nathan, David was very thankful to God for sending his prophet to call out his own sin. Jesus uses very strong language to describe those who judge others when they have beams or planks in their own eyes. He calls them hypocrites. Spurgeon pointed out that Jesus is gentle, but he calls that man a hypocrite who fusses about small things in others and pays no attention to great matters at home in himself. So when you have a plank in your own eye and you're busy judging someone who has a speck of sawdust in his eye, in his eye you're no different, no different to those religious Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees about which Jesus said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like whitewashed tombs, whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. Just a bunch of hypocrites. Fourthly, we consider unforgiving judges. Let's have a look at our verse again. Okay. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. It's all too easy to condemn others rather than to forgive them. The Lord Jesus Christ gives an example of that in Matthew chapter 18. It's especially applicable to professing Christians. In other words, to all who have a testimony of God's great love for them and Uh, a testimony they're able to go around telling people how God has forgiven them their own sins through Jesus Christ who took their sins upon him at the cross who poured out his blood at the cross and washed them from all their filthy sins that's what Christians do and and praise God for that if you have that testimony I'm going to read it to you, it's quite a long passage, but we're going to see in this passage someone who may, who might well be you, a Christian, but with an unforgiving spirit, even though you've been forgiven much yourself. Matthew chapter 18. Starting at verse 21 
in Matthew 18. Then came Peter to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. That's a bit different. Peter's asking, how often do I forgive a brother in Christ? Seven times? Jesus says, 77 times, in other words, a lot. When do you stop forgiving someone? Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants? And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, He couldn't pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that what that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison, till he should pay the debt. So, when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. This is the king. They've gone to the king and told him. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not thou also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, he was angry, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one of his brothers their trespasses, their sins." Perhaps you can see the hypocrisy and the complete absence of any mercy, any compassion from the servant who, having been forgiven by the king after he begged for time to pay off that huge debt to the king, he went on to cast cast into prison a, a fellow servant who owed him very little in comparison and who pleaded for mercy and for time to pay. If you're a professing Christian, then to be like that unmerciful servant, that unforgiving servant, most certainly is not consistent with you having received forgiveness from God, 
whose only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, sacrificially laid down his own life at the cross, where he carried away all your sins in his own body, and he had your iniquity, the depravity of your heart, laid upon him. It makes no sense at all if you're like that unforgiving servant that Jesus spoke about there. Should it not follow that when you have been sinned against by a brother in Christ and that brother repents, you forgive him with thanksgiving in your heart towards God for the forgiveness and the mercy that God has, you've received from God. Last of all, there will be a final judgment of all who have ever lived. Jesus said, Marvel not at this, for the time is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Speaking about himself there, everyone who has ever lived, even though they're dead in the graves, they'll hear the voice of the Son of Man when he comes again in judgment. And shall come forth, and they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. That will be a scene, won't it? Because obviously not everyone's going to be in their coffin when Jesus comes again. Some people have, uh, have, have um, been divided up into their, into their atoms, they've been scattered across the world. Nevertheless, everybody who has ever lived will appear before the Son of Man when he comes again in judgment. Those who shall come forth unto the resurrection of life, everlasting life in heaven, refers to all who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour from sin, and with God working in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. They have brought forth the fruit of compassion and love towards Christian brethren and they've done that as unto Christ Jesus himself. Whatever they've done as unto Christ, they have done as people for whom Jesus has already paid the penalty of their sins when he was wounded for their transgressions and when their iniquity was laid upon him at the cross. These are people who have, with thanksgiving in their hearts towards God, have shown compassion towards brothers and sisters in Christ, as if they were ministering ministering unto Christ himself. They shall go away to life eternal, Jesus says. As for those who come forth unto the resurrection of damnation, that refers to everyone else, people who have never shown repentance towards God. They've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour from sin. They've never put on Christ. They have never been baptised into Christ. And whatever they have ever done for others, most certainly was not as unto Jesus, whom they have rejected. They are condemned sinners and all their righteousnesses are as filthy rags, worth nothing. They shall be cast into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. Dear friends, 
The Lord Jesus Christ is the judge of all the earth. And his judgment is a righteous judgment. We get it wrong when we judge others. Jesus will get it right. He always gets everything right. When he comes again on the day of judgment, his judgment will be a righteous judgment. Perfect When he comes again and sits on his throne of glory and all the nations are gathered before him, there will be no defence lawyers, no prosecution lawyers, no witnesses, no juries, only Jesus who knows the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Jesus, the judge who will be sitting on his throne, who can see into your heart. And his judgment will be final. There will be no second chances, no possibility of appealing your sentence. Therefore, don't be too quick to judge and condemn others. Look at your own sinful heart and your failure to love God with your whole being. Your failure to love your neighbour as yourself. Cry out to God for mercy, for he is a merciful and gracious God. Trust in the sinless life and the sacrificial death of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God will hear your cry and he will save you by his grace. Amen.